I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 143. As Dan mentioned this morning, uh, you know, when we come to our service planning time, I mean, Dan and I meet every week when we're going over things, and we try to plan things out in advance. Dan works several weeks ahead on the music, and I do on the messages, kind of laying those things out. And it's just always amazing how um, we come to different Sundays, and it just seems like, you know, we can see God's hand so clearly on how He's joined everything together, something appropriate for that day. Uh, the music or the message, how it ties together. And it's just an encouragement to us as we go through in those times, too, of planning. And sometimes I feel like with messages as well, um, I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. I know what's happening for some of you, but I always feel like, you know, God has a word for someone today. Maybe several people where this is especially for you today. This particular message that I'm going to share touched my heart this week in a um, significant way in terms of some things that I was wrestling with as well. And so I pray that this will be an encouragement to you this morning. Psalm 143. David says, O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. And in your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment. For no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground, and he makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me, and my heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you, and my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord. Preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the example of David who has gone before us. And Father, we pray that today we might see how these patterns of prayer that were such a significant part of David's life could help us as well in our prayers. May we learn from his example and apply these things as we wrestle with our own needs in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm that we're going to look at this morning is one of seven psalms in the Scripture that are called penitential psalms, or psalms of repentance. Uh, Out of the other six that are in the Scripture, a couple of those are perhaps more well-known. Psalms 32 and Psalms 51 are David's confession after his sin with Bathsheba. And when he came before the Lord and he entreated God not to forsake him, but to forgive him for his sins. And as penitential psalms, they raise a very good question for us when we think about our prayer life. What is the place of repentance in prayer? And how much should that be a part of our prayer life when we come before God? When Martin Luther 
nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, which we look at as the start of the Protestant Reformation, the very first line in those 95 theses read like this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he meant that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Luther was challenging a distortion of the biblical word repentance that had come into their practice in the Middle Ages. You see, at that time, uh, the most common translation of the Bible was the Latin Vulgate. And in Matthew 4.17, Jesus had said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the way that the Latin Vulgate translated that word repent into uh, the language of the people was they translated it as do penance. Do penance. And when Luther began to study the Greek New Testament, he understood that that wasn't the meaning of that word at all. The word repentance in Greek means to have a change of heart or a change of mind. You see, Jesus was calling for this kind of radical change of heart and mind that results in a changed life, that affects everything that you do. We see ourselves as God sees us. We see our sin as God sees our sin. And we come to God wanting to live as He desires. You see, biblical repentance is not saying so many prayers. It's not putting so much money in the offering plate. It's not doing something as though we can cover up something else that we have done previously. The biblical idea of repentance is to have a change of heart and mind that changes the way we live. It's recognizing our sin, being sorry for that, confessing that to God, and choosing to live differently. That same idea is true in the Old Testament where the most common word for repentance was the Hebrew word shuv, and it means to make a turn in our life. If you're going away from God, you turn around, you make a U-turn, and you come back to God and you walk with Him. And in that sense, repentance is very much a necessary part of prayer. Because when we come to God in prayer, we're coming to seek His will and His ways. And if we've been going astray, we are turning around in our heart and our attitude and saying, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to walk with You today. Well, this psalm affirms that biblical truth. It begins in verses 1 and 2 by telling us that all have sinned. All of us have sinned. David starts out and he says, God, hear my prayer and listen to my cry for mercy. And in verse 2 he says, Don't bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. David comes to God and he is well aware of his sin and that we are all sinners. This is David's confession. And it sounds an awful lot like Romans 3.23, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and done things that are displeasing to God. That's the basic problem of man. Many years ago, there was a famous correspondence that took place in the London Times under the subject, What is wrong with the world today? And perhaps the most humorous and profound comment or letter to the editor came from a man, G.K. Chesterton. 
a Christian author. He said, What is wrong with the world today? Dear sir, I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. It was a profound answer. That the problem with the world today is me. The problem of sin is in me. It's in my heart, my pride, my self-centeredness, all of those things that affect all of our relationships and everything that we do. We can't get away from it, can we? It's like the words of the old spiritual standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother or my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. It's me who needs to make sure that I'm right with you, that I'm dealing with the things in my heart and my life. And David understood that. But it raises a question. Because we are all sinners, what right do any of us have to ask God for anything? What right do we as sinners have to come before a holy God and ask Him for anything on our behalf? We are coming before the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and we come as paupers with nothing in our hands. There's a second question that it raises too, and that is, how can a just God justify the sinner and still be just? You know, in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, a judge who acquitted the wicked and let them get off without any kind of punishment was considered to be an abomination. How can God do that? How can He justify the sinner and still be just? Well, the answer wouldn't be totally revealed until the cross. We read about it in the New Testament in places like Romans 3, 25 and 26. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's that great exchange that took place at the cross when God took our sins and placed them on Jesus Christ and He became sin for us. And He died in our place and He bore God's wrath so that God would be free to place Christ's righteousness upon us. How can we thank Him enough as we have sung? You see, David did not understand fully what God was going to do in the future, but he understood something about God's character. And so David threw himself on God's faithfulness and righteousness. He said in verse 1, "...in your faithfulness and righteousness..." Come to my relief, O oh God. Come and help me. It was as though David was saying, Lord, I don't deserve this. I don't have any right in me to ask you for anything. I come to you on the basis of your mercy and your grace, your faithfulness and your righteousness. Lord, hear my prayer. That's the way we come too, isn't it? So do we. In 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, the Scripture says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mean, if we think we've got it all together and, and we're just living this great life, you know, and we don't need God or that we somehow have risen above this level of sin, we are just deceiving ourselves. But on the other hand, if we confess our sins, the Bible says He is faithful and just. Some of your translations say faithful and righteous. 
And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Those words, faithful and just, that John picks up on are the same words that David was throwing himself upon in terms of God's character in the Old Testament. God, you are faithful and you are just. You are righteous. And I come to you for your mercy. Hear my prayer. All of us have sinned. And we need to deal with that first in our heart when we come before God. Otherwise, the Lord will not hear our prayers. And so we come with a spirit of repentance. And secondly, we see in this scripture that all have needs. All have burdens. All have concerns. We all have things going on in our life. And we see that in verses 3 to 6. The question is really, what are we going to do with them? How do we deal with those burdens or needs in our life? Well, David's example here is so good. In verses 3 and 4, what we see are David's lament, his woe, his working through his feelings. And sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we're thinking, woe is me. And it's pretty easy at times when you're dealing with tough things to kind of have a pity party for yourself, perhaps, because you're trying to work through your emotions. But look at that. David. David's problem here was enemies who were pursuing him. And so much so that he was despairing even of life. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me and my heart within me is dismayed. David was in the pits. He was wrestling with this. God, don't you see? Don't you understand my condition? I'm being pursued. I'm about to have my life taken from me. My heart is faint. I'm discouraged. God, where are you? Some of the greatest of God's saints have struggled with feelings like that. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 who talked about because of the struggles he was going through. He came to a point where he despaired even of life. Paul, who had seen such great visions and walked with God and was used so mightily, even at times in his life, had moments of discouragement and despair. Where do we look when those things come, when our heart is heavy? We look to God. What is your lament today? If you had to put some things down, would it be financial stress? Is it pressures at work? Is it concern for a wayward son or daughter? Is it loneliness? Is it an illness or a physical disability in your life? Or is it just something where you can fill in the blank and put whatever it might be in your heart today? How are you doing? You know, when I was going through this on Monday, uh, this is the time of year where in the church planning. August is always a busy month for our staff. We're planning for the year ahead. We're working on the budget. We're working on uh, staff reviews. We're recruiting people to fill in. We're making sure everything's up and going. And so, you know, it may look quiet on the outside, but on the inside of the church, things are kind of humming here as we get ready for the fall. And I've been struggling with the budget for next year as I've been working on that. Because there are some things that we'd like to do, but it's always a challenge between how far do you stretch in faith and what do you put into the budget and what do you leave out and how do you do that. And so I came before the Lord on Monday and I was thinking about this and I go, God, you know, I don't have any right to ask you for anything. And you have been so faithful and you have always met our needs and you have done that. But God, I'm really struggling with this. What do we do? 
What is it that you want us to do as we plan for the year ahead? And what do you want us to uh, accomplish? What is it that you want us to put our emphasis on, our priorities in our ministry? And I came and I was pouring out. That was my struggle that day. And it was good to get that out and then do what David did in the next two verses. David shared his lament. And then in verses 5 and 6, David worked through his feelings. And there are three key words here that I want you to note as you go through verses 5 and 6. The word remember, the word meditate, and the word consider. David's working through his feelings. I'm feeling in the pit. But he says, God, I remember the days long ago, the things that you've done in my life in the past. And I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. And he's talking to himself, you know, and he's thinking about the Scripture. He's thinking about those answers to prayer and God's deliverance and His might and His power. And what's happening? David's attitude is beginning to change. His circumstances have not changed at all yet at that point. But his heart is beginning to change as he gets in tune with God. And so he remembers and meditates and considers and then he spreads out his hand to God. He spreads out his hands in prayer. And he says, God, I'm thirsty. And my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. God, I'm like dry ground. I need you today. And I need you to refresh my spirit and my soul. You know, some of our best prayers come when we are needy, don't they? When you're just desperate, you got no place else to go, some of those best prayers can come at that time. I think of some men who were talking about prayer and they were discussing the best posture for prayer and they were kind of arguing and saying, well, is it sitting with your head bowed? You know, I pray best then. And some say, no, I pray best when I'm kneeling, I'm on my knees, that kind of humbles me. Others say, no, I pray best when I'm lying face down on the ground before God. And one of the guys who was a telephone lineman said, you know, I remember that time when I was hanging upside down about 20 feet in the air. And that that was really my best time for prayer. (laughs) Nothing like being needy to really get our attention, you know, and to cause us to pray. This past week, um, we got a call from our son, Matt, who, as I mentioned, Matt and Deborah have moved down to start, uh, moved down to the Chicago area to start school at Trinity, and Matt's had his first classes there at the seminary. But Friday was Deborah's last day when she was going to get a paycheck, and they've been praying for months for Deborah to get a teaching job. And she went down, you know, they went down in like February and put her name in at schools and districts, hoping for an opening, and nothing, hadn't heard a thing. And they're coming down to the end and they're like, Lord, we made this move. We're trusting that you're going to provide for us. Matt's planning to go to school, but we can't do this unless we have some income to provide for us. On Wednesday, she got a call from the Waukegan School District, from the middle school, asking if she she was still available to come for an interview. They called her, they interviewed her, they offered her a job on the same day, on that Wednesday, and she started Thursday working. When um, we talked to her on the phone, you know, we talked about that and how God is faithful, but how often He takes you to the 11th hour, so to speak. She said, you know, it just, you know, in talking about God's timing, she said, boy, He tries to wring every drop of self-sufficiency out of us. 
Doesn't He? You know, all those things that we think we can do, we can manage, we can plan. The Lord just wants to remove those so that we learn to trust Him. How do we work through our feelings? We look to God and His Word and prayer. We remember the things that He's done in our life in the past. We meditate on that. We chew on that and consider what that means for us. And we consider what He has done. Again, David's circumstances did not change immediately, but his heart did as he got himself with tune with God. And that may be your experience too. Maybe you're working through something today. Maybe you have a lament that you want to bring before the Lord. I want to encourage you to do this very same thing. Share your needs, but don't do it without looking to God and remembering and considering what He has done in His Word and in your life in the past. Thirdly, all can pray. All have sinned. All of us have needs. But all of us can pray. And we see that in verses 7 to 12. These are the petitions that David brought before the Lord. This is his prayer. He prayed for guidance in verses 7 and 8. He said, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. And do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. He's saying, God, I am desperate. Lord, would you please answer and answer me quickly. May the morning bring word of your unfailing love. He prayed for guidance and he said, God, show me the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. And he expressed his trust in God. He said, God, I have put my trust in you. You are my confidence. You are my hope. God, will you hear my prayer? David prayed for deliverance. He was honest about what he was feeling. In verse 9, he said, Lord, rescue me from my enemies, for I hide myself in you. And David prayed for understanding. In verse 10, he said, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And may your good spirit lead me on level ground. Uh, Lord, you know that I am prone to stumble and fall. You know my needs. You know how you made me. God, I need you. I need you to lead me and make my path straight. These are prayers offered by a humble man. David wants to know and follow God's will for his life. God wants us to come with that kind of humility and a teachable heart as well when we come to him to say, God, show me your way. I want to know it. I want to do it. I want to do what it is that you ask. I want to please you. God, help me to hear your voice today. You see how David was praying as he brought both his needs and what he thought was the best thing, Lord, rescue me or deliver me. And yet, God, I want you to show me what it is that you want to do. May my life honor you. Do we come like that? You see, part of the reason God allows us to go through trials in our life is to test and refine us. And it is often through the valleys that God proves the genuineness of our faith and He teaches us to trust Him. Many years ago, John Cavanaugh, the ethicist, went to work for three months in Calcutta at the House of the Dying to work with Mother Teresa. He was seeking an answer as to how best to spend the rest of his life. 
And on his first morning there, he met Mother Teresa, and she asked him, What can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she said, What do you want me to pray for? And he said, I'd like you to pray for clarity. I'd like you to pray that God would show me what it is that he wants me to do for the rest of my life. And she said rather firmly to him that, No, I will not do that. And when he asked her why, she said that clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And when Kavanaugh said to her that she always seemed to have the clarity that he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I pray that you will trust God too. You know, I think about that for our church. I think about that for myself. I mentioned that at this time of year we're working on plans and preparation for the year ahead. We're actually started looking at the next five years too and we think about our church and ministry trying to anticipate some things. But if you've ever worked on a five-year plan, you know that's a challenging thing to do because nobody knows the future. And you can plan and project some things, but it's not certain. And so you need to walk very humbly and keep those plans flexible. When it comes to church today, there are a lot of different options in terms of the way churches do ministry. And so you can look and consider those options, but the real question is, what does God want us to do? How does He want us to minister in this community? Who are the people He has called us to reach? And how can we do that most effectively? And I would love it if God would give us a five-year plan and just kind of drop it down and here it is. These are the things that you're supposed to do. But it may be what he's asking us to do is to trust him for today and walk with him each step of the way. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan, whether it's looking at the future of the church or planning out our worship services, but we do that in dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we walk with him, trusting in his goodness and his mercy and his direction, I believe he will lead us and guide us and show us his will. David prayed for God's direction. He prayed for deliverance from his circumstances. He prayed for understanding, but he also prayed for the glory of God. In verses 11 and 12, he said, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. And in your righteousness bring me out of trouble. And in your unfailing love silence my enemies. God, do it for your sake. Do it for the honor of your name. For I am your servant. Or as we would say in the New Testament, Lord, I am your child. Father, would you hear my prayer? Now I thought about this psalm, and I thought about the way that Jesus taught us to pray, because Jesus really teaches us to do these very same things too. When we look at the Lord's Prayer as a model, Jesus taught us to pray our Father, that we come to God as a child to our loving Heavenly Father. He taught us to pray, Hallowed be your name, we pray for the honor and glory of God's name. He taught us to pray, Your kingdom come and your will be done. God, show us your will and help us to be a part of what you are doing in the world. He taught us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. We are to pray for our needs and the concerns that we have. He taught us to pray, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we come. And we ask for forgiveness because 
all have sinned. He taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just as David prayed here, Lord, lead me on level ground. Keep me out of the hand of the evil one. And make my steps straight. And Jesus taught us to pray for yours, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All have sinned. All of us have needs. All can pray. What I would encourage you to do this week, if this psalm and what I've been talking about resonates with you, I would encourage you to follow these four steps and use Psalm 143 as a guide for your prayer this week. Come before God and confess your sin. Ask God if there's anything in you that needs to be dealt with and repent of it. Come to God bringing your lament, whatever it is on your heart that's the burden that you carry today. And then look to the Lord and remember what He has done. And then come and bring your petitions before His throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing how Your Word speaks in such a timeless fashion. It is living, it's active, it's powerful. It convicts us of sin, it encourages us to walk in righteousness. It shows us exactly what we need for each day. And so I pray that we would take this psalm to heart, that Your people are gathered here today would put it into practice in their life and that together we can come and rejoice in the answers to prayer we've seen and the things that you have done thank you for your faithfulness and your righteous your righteousness lord hear our prayer amen